You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. What's up, Trace? Uh, it's good to see you guys this morning. Always good to be with you. Um, we're just excited to have you. And first, I just want to say welcome to any of you that are joining us for the very first time this week. Uh, whether you saw our street signs out on the roads, or maybe you got invited by a friend, or maybe you've been watching us online for a while now, but you finally decided to join us here in person, whatever the case, uh, we're super excited to have you here today. Uh, but also just want to give a huge shout out to any of you that are joining us online, whether you're watching us live or maybe you're watching us some other time during the week. We're grateful to have you as a part of the conversation. We hope you have a great morning with us. Uh, my name is Josiah, and I have the opportunity to be the student pastor here at Trace. And as a student ministry, we want to remove every obstacle for our students to get to Jesus. That we want to create fun environments for our students to hang out with their friends, to ask honest questions that they have, but genuinely maybe meet Jesus for the very first time. And so if you are a student, if you have a student, if you know a student uh, from middle school all the way up to high school, I'd love the opportunity to meet you and invite you to some of our programming. And for any of the parents in the room, let me just say this, that uh, right now it is a pretty tough season for students, uh, that you know things are being canceled constantly, school looks different for them, they're not seeing their friends near as much, and they're probably fighting with you guys a whole lot more, um, but this is a hard season for them. And with so many outside influences pouring into them during this season, uh, now probably more than ever, it's important that we pour into them from a spiritual perspective. And so I'd love the opportunity to partner with you as parents to get your students involved in our programming, whether that means you force them to come or you bribe them to come. I don't really care. We'd love to have them. Uh, but, you know, we have middle school programming during this service upstairs. It's called Upper Room. It's a great time. It's one of my favorite parts of the week. Uh, but then on Sunday nights, we have uh, our high school ministry, our high school programming called Movement Nights. That we want high school students to realize that they can make a difference today, not sometime in the future. They're, they're a part of something bigger than themselves. And so if you are a student, if you have a student, if you know a student, I'm going to be right outside after this at the Next Steps booth. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to personally invite you to some of our programming. However, we as a church, uh, we are in this series called Modnik, and the G is silent. That is a made-up word, uh, but I think it's one of the best representations of the kingdom that Jesus came here to establish. That many of the things Jesus talked about in Scripture, they seemed backwards, they seemed upside down, they didn't seem to fit with modern society. Philosophers of those days would have disagreed with what Jesus said. But Jesus led a backwards, upside-down kingdom. And so why would we talk about this? What's the vision behind this series? I think when it all comes down to it, it's very simple, uh, that as people, we all tend to drift towards uh, being divided more than we tend to be united, that we like to disagree, and we let those disagreements drive us apart, that many times we like to argue way more than we like to agree, and the church is no different. Now, for the past 2,000 years, the church has been di disagreeing on everything under the sun, and that's why there's so many different denominations. But we all do this, don't we? That most times, a majority of the time, we like to spend way too much time. We, we may even waste our time arguing about things that, if we're honest, don't really matter, right? That we do this, don't we? Because we argue about things like our hot dogs, the type of sandwich, or like how deep does a pan need to be before it becomes a pot? Or are Cheetos a chip or are they a type of snack? Or which goes first when you make a taco? Is it the cheese or the meat? Can fish really swim in snow? 
whose imaginary friend is taller? What is the correct way to draw an X? Should the toilet paper, or is water wet? Uh, should the toilet paper go like this or like this? You know, what is the correct way to fold a towel? And I know with those last two, I probably stepped on some toes there, but perhaps my favorite argument that I found this week was of a teenager uh, that sued Subway sandwiches uh, because their footlongs were not in fact a foot long. And he spent somewhere around $500,000 and several hundreds of hours of people's time to argue his case only to get about $5,000 in return. Guys, we like to argue. We like to be divided. These are all real examples of real arguments that people have wasted their time on. That many of us, we like to get behind a keyboard or we like to sit across from somebody at a table and we like to argue about things like politics or sports or religion, whatever comes to our mind. And so why talk about this? Why talk about an upside down kingdom? I would say that in a world that is so divided, in a country that is so divided, guys, today we need a kingdom that is not. And in a country that's so divided, we need a kingdom that is not. And so last week, Aaron, he kicked off this series by giving us this kingdom, this Modnik uh, acronym. And he talked about the fact that in this kingdom, more is less and less is more. That what you have does not define who you are, but that this is also another's first kind of place where others take uh, priority even over the needs of yourself. That when you become a part of this kingdom, this is no longer about you. However, today what I'd like to do is I'd like to take a look at these next three letters, which are DGN. And I want to look at these three principles of descending into greatness, generosity flows, and not to us. And I want to talk about these things. Because I think these three principles are foundational to the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. And so we're going to talk about these, starting with this first one right here, descend into greatness. So when I was a young boy, uh, I remember having a conversation with my dad that went something like this. Uh, he sat my brothers and I down, and he said something along the lines of, listen, boys, everyone wants to be great. Everybody wants to be great at something. Some want to be great at sports. Some want to be great at their careers. Some just want to be a good mother or father, a great mother or father. Everybody wants to be great. And everybody takes different paths to get there. But, boys, I need you to understand there's only one right way to get there. And you see, I agree with my dad that we all want to be great. We all have this innate desire within us to be great that I've watched over the years as myself and the people around me have uh, chased after greatness, some of them succeeding, while others of them failing miserably. But we all want to be great. And I wouldn't say that's just true for us here and now, but this is also true for the disciples in Scripture because in Matthew chapter 18, they asked Jesus this question. And at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? that they too, they wanted to be great. And only a couple of chapters later, James and John, they're going to get their mom, uh, which I always think is funny, to go to Jesus and ask Jesus if those two boys could have the seats of honor whenever Jesus comes into uh, his kingdom, that they too wanted to be great. That I agree with my dad, everyone wants to be great. And there's several paths that people take to get there, but there's only one right way. And over my years, I've learned that people really just take three different postures when they're trying to achieve greatness. And I want to share these with you. Uh, the first one is this, that I am great, so you serve me. I am great, so you serve me. That we all know that one person. We all know that one boss that leads like this. 
These are the kind of people that bulldoze over other people. They get what they want regardless of how they got it. They're egotistical. They're arrogant. They take pride in the fact that they will say or do whatever needs to be done. And they draw their organization. They draw other people to themselves. And they take credit they don't deserve. And they deflect the blame that they most surely do. Guys, these are some of the worst people to work for. And maybe some of you in your mind right now, you're thinking of someone specific. But I know for me, at least, uh, being a type 8 on the Enneagram, if I'm not careful, I can very quickly find myself here. That I can very quickly find myself in this unhealthy space. And I know I'm not alone in this. That each and every one of us, we are in a constant battle with our egos. And one of the ways that we've learned to describe ego around here is like this, edging God out. That when we listen to our egos, we start to think in our head, you know, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I'm capable enough. I'm strong enough to handle everything on my own. I don't need anybody else's help. And when we listen to our egos, we edge God out. And in those moments, we put on this posture of I am great, so you serve me. And we all do this. Like maybe for you, it's your incessant need to be right. You have dozens of stories where you have won different arguments and you love to share those stories because it makes you look good. And, you know, you just can't let something go. And so you argue with people because you want to be right. Or maybe for you, it's more subtle than that. And when somebody shares a story that grabs other people's attention, your immediate response is to one-up them. There's no elbow nudging here today, okay? But you immediately, you try to one-up them. And you try to share a story where you were better, you were stronger, you were faster, you said the right thing at the right time so that people will be in awe of you. Or maybe for you, it's, uh, it's different than that. That you've worked really, really hard in your life. And it's put you in this place, and I respect that, but at the same time, it's created a little bit of entitlement. And now you think there are some jobs, some tasks, some things that are beneath you. But you don't want to serve other people because, I mean, you come home from work and you worked really hard and the dishes still need to be done, but, I mean, you had a hard day. Those things are beneath you. You live in this posture that says, I am great, so you serve me. And I love how Jesus responds to this posture. Aaron shared this verse last week, but he says this. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. They live in this posture of, I am great, so you serve me. And officials, they flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And in this moment, Jesus is saying, not so with you. You guys are going to be different. That we are not great when we demand that other people serve us. You don't get to ascend into greatness. There's a better way. But if it's not that posture, maybe it's the second one which says this. I am great because I serve you. I am great because I serve you. And at first glance, this probably seems like the right answer, doesn't it? Like, didn't Jesus just say we need to be servants to each other? Didn't Jesus just say we need to serve other people? I think the problem with this posture is not actually in the action, but in the motivation. That the problem here is not with the how, but with the why behind what people do. That this posture of I am great because I serve you, it's very transactional. It's this posture that gives only for what they can get back. And it may not keep a record of wrongs, but it definitely does keep a record of rights. I am great because I serve you. These conversations sound something like this. Hey, remember uh, a couple of weeks ago when I mowed your lawn for you because you were out of town and uh, that was something that I just did. 
but hey, the leaves are falling, and I'm, I'm pretty busy, and they're starting to fill up my yard, and I don't really have a lot of time. It would really be a great idea if you could come and help me with that. Or it sounds maybe like this, like, I just don't get it. Like, we spent hundreds of dollars on their baby shower for them. We invited all their friends. They all came over. We gave them gifts and toys and different things like that. But for them, they only seemed to give us like a package of diapers. Like, did we do something wrong? Is something, uh, did we mess something up there? Or maybe it sounds something like this. Like, we did City Serve yesterday, and it was awesome. But it was also kind of hard because, like, the Trace social media team, like, they didn't capture any photos of us. So they posted a bunch of pictures of other people. And it was a great experience, but like we had to wake up really early and we didn't get to meet who we were serving. And, you know, it was just really hard. We stayed way later than we thought we were going to. But it was a great experience. I am great because I serve you. It's full of false humility and service that is self-seeking. Motivation, it's all wrong. I'm not great because I serve you. No, there's a better way. No, this third posture and what I believe the right path to greatness is this. That I am great when I make you great. I am great when I make you great. That I am great when I forget my own need to be great. That I am great when I help the other people around me achieve greatness themselves. This looks like sacrifice. It looks like deflecting praise. It looks like taking blame. It looks like taking responsibility for your actions. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's looking for opportunities to empower and encourage the people around you, looking for opportunities to put people in the spotlight that you very clearly deserve. It looks like real humility and servant leadership. It looks like Jesus getting down on his hands and knees and washing the feet of his disciples, even the one who would betray him and eventually get him killed. It looks like a CEO choosing to take out the trash and mop the floors, even though he has someone else that he pays to do that. It looks like a husband getting up off of the couch and asking the question, how can I genuinely serve my wife today? It looks like friends taking care of friends when they're unable to take care of themselves. I'm great when I make other people great. In Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, uh, they surveyed 1,400 extremely successful businesses to find a couple of those companies that were truly great. And when it was all said and done, they came up with a list of 11 companies that would fit this category that were miles ahead when it came to uh, total profit and innovation in different categories like that. And so what they did is they took the, the 11 CEOs of these great companies and compared them to 11 sister companies to see what made these companies so special. And what they found is that every single one of these 11 CEOs possessed one quality, one quality that allowed them to make the jump from good to great. You know what that quality was? Humility. Humility. That each and every one of these CEOs understood that in order to be great, they had to leave their own greatness behind and invest in the greatness of the people around them. That they were great because they made other people great. I am great when I make others great. I love how Philippians 2 says it, especially in the message version. It says this, don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Now listen, everybody, we want to be great. And there's so many paths that people take to get there, but there's only one right way. That in this upside-down kingdom, you don't get to ascend to greatness, but instead you descend to greatness. That we become great when instead we make other people great. That in this kingdom... You descend into greatness.
But I also want to talk about this next one right here, which is this. Generosity flows. Generosity flows. And before I go any further, I recognize that there may be some of you in here today that just had some walls go up, okay? That maybe you've been a part of a church or a religious context uh, that did not handle the topics of money and finances very well. That maybe for you, you just had a moment where some walls went up. That, you know, you've listened to somebody up here uh, stand up here like me and just make you feel more guilty because you don't give enough to the church. Or maybe it gives you like flashbacks to some times where you've been in church and they pass the plate like 500 times thinking that somehow like magically money's going to appear in your wallet so that you can put it in or that you're just going to feel guilty enough to do it. But whatever the case, maybe you heard the words generosity flows and instantly in your mind you thought, great. Like I picked the wrong Sunday to come because here comes some other young punk who's going to stand up there and tell me, uh, you know, why I'm not a good Christian because I'm not giving enough to the church. If that's you this morning, uh, can I just say I'm sorry? Like, I'm sorry that's been your experience. I'm sorry that you've had a bad experience with church. I'm sorry that we as the capital C church have really tainted your view of generosity and giving and if you think we're only trying to get your money this morning, I need, you to tell you very, I need to tell you very clearly, uh, that's not my goal this morning. That if anything, if I could be transparent with you, I would tell you that this has been an area in my life that I've really, really struggled with. That the phrase generosity flows is not one that I would describe, uh, used to describe my life uh, for the most, most part. Uh, that I grew up a follower of Jesus. Uh, my dad is a pastor. The church was basically my second home. Uh, there, if I wasn't at home, I was definitely at church. And so I've heard every reason that you should give. I've heard every guilt trip in the book. I've watched as person after person has stood up here on a stage like this and used almost every Bible verse in Scripture to tell me why I should give more. And if I'm honest with you, it just never was too convincing for me. That I never really understood why I was giving or what I was giving to in the first place. That generosity did not flow from my life, and it's not something I would use to describe me. That if anything, I would tell you I was a very bad example of what a generous person looked like. I remember a time as a kid, one of my first times making money for myself. And I came home, and I was so excited. I'd made $30, and I cashed a check, and I walked in the door, and I was extremely excited about this. And my parents, they were excited for me too, but then they sat me down, and they said, uh, all right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take 10% of that money that you just made and you're going to give it to the church because that's what we do. And it's the right thing to do. And I thought in my head, you know, that doesn't make sense. I worked really hard for this money. They don't deserve the money that I worked hard for. And so the next morning, uh, rather than giving my hard-earned cash, uh, my $3, mind you, uh, I went to my garage and I snuck into my parents' car and opened the middle console and found $3 worth of quarters in there. And I stole, or borrowed, I borrowed this $3, and uh, I was going to give that instead of my money. And sure enough, I got caught because, guys, mothers know everything. And in that moment, I felt bad. And I didn't feel bad because I got caught. I felt bad because I realized I was still going to have to give my $3 to the church. And guys, that mentality, it followed me around the rest of my life, a majority of my life, that I've always had a really, really hard time being generous. And I can be honest and I can tell you that that perspective didn't shift until I came here. That when uh, my wife and I decided to come here, we were asked to fundraise a portion of my salary for the first two years. That Trace was getting ready to plant another church and they weren't too far removed from planting themselves. And so this was a way that we could help the church and so we agreed to it. And guys, this experience was awkward. 
It was hard. And it caused a lot of anxiety in my life. But I can also tell you it was one of the most growing experiences of my life. That if you ever want to be humbled, like try going to some of your friends, some of the people that know you the best, and asking them money for money to live off of. It's like putting a price tag on your life for your friends. Because it was a hard experience. I didn't know how we were going to raise this kind of money. I would sit across the table, seriously, I would sit across the table from millionaires. And I would have this conversation and I would preach to them the vision of Trace. And I'd tell them of this place that was full of both truth and grace, this place that was a messy church where people met Jesus. And I preached this with as much passion as I knew how. And I would get done with these conversations, seriously, with these millionaires, and I'd think, they'll just fund the whole thing. And they'd turn around and they'd write me checks for $50. And in that moment, I would feel extremely defeated. But then at the same time, I would go to a family of five, living off of a teacher's salary. And I would preach the same vision with as much vigor and as passion, uh, passionately as I knew how. And in my head, I'm thinking, they're not going to give me a dime. And they would turn around and they would write me a check for thousands of dollars. Guys, not because they had to. Not because they thought it was the right thing to do, but because they believed in us. And I got a front row seat where I would get to watch generosity flow, not based on how compelling my speech was. Not based on how many digits they had in their bank account. Not based on what they would get in return, but I watched people give sacrificially to the point to where it actually hurt them for us to be a part of their budget. I I watched them uh, put the Weeses in their budget because of the kingdom they were a part of. And guys, they would give us far more than we asked them to. And you know what the craziest part was? Like they were happy about it. They were excited to do it. That I would sit across uh, the table from people and more times than not, my conversations with them would end something like this. Josiah, thank you so much for allowing us to give thousands of dollars to a place called Trace Church. Like talk about an upside down kingdom. These people, they understood it wasn't their money to give in the first place, and generosity flowed easy. And over the course of the next year and a half since I've been here, I've watched God bless that time and time and time again. That one of my favorite parts of the month is when I get to call these people, like I got to this past week, and I get to say things like, hey, you don't know this, but a couple of weeks ago, we as a church, we got to baptize 18 different people. And they're never going to meet you. And they may never understand it, but that is largely due to the support that you've given and the generosity you've showed to us. And you know what they say to me? They say, I can't wait to meet them in heaven. They say, say, can we give more? They say, Josiah, you don't know how much it means to me to be a part of what God is doing in Colorado Springs. And time after time after time, I'm blown away by the generosity of people that are part of this kingdom. But if their generosity has taught me anything, it's this. This kingdom is worth investing in. This kingdom is worth investing in. That is not just an obligation to them. It is a joy to give. I love how Jesus describes it. When he says this, he tells a story. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. 
And then in his joy, in his joy, he sold all that he had. And he went and he bought that field. Guys, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to invest in a kingdom that will last. That those 18 people that got baptized, those aren't just 18 people that we put in a spreadsheet. Those are 18 different people with 18 names, with 18 stories, whose 18 lives will be changed forever. That while, yes, I have struggled in the past to be generous, I pray that God makes me half as generous as the people he's surrounded me with. That I know without a shadow of a doubt that I can honestly and genuinely say this. That there is no better investment with my money. No better investment than investing in the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of heaven is worth investing in. That in this kingdom, generosity flows. And I think the reason that's true is because people understand it's not about them. No, it's bigger than that. Which leads me to this next letter, which is N, which stands for not to us. Not to us. See, Psalm 115.1, it says this right here. Not to us, but to your name, God, be the glory. And something you've got to understand about this church is we are a not to us kind of culture. That as a church, we believe it's not just important what we are trying to accomplish, but we also believe it's important to know why we're trying to accomplish it in the first place. That we know the right mission will never succeed with the wrong motive. That this is a hard check for us as a church and us as individuals. We have to ask ourselves constantly, why are we doing what we do? Why are we continuing to gather as a church amidst the pandemic? Why are we choosing to invest in something like online church? Doesn't that just create an excuse for people? Why do we have lights and haze and loud music in the worship center? Is it for our own personal gain, honestly? Or are we trying to accomplish something bigger? And as a church, we've spent a lot of time, a lot of time praying, a lot of time processing, a lot of time thinking through why we do what we do. And after praying through that and processing through that, we came up with an answer, and I think it's pretty simple. But we do what we do as a church because we know people need Jesus. That life is hard. Life is a struggle. Life is messy at times. That we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and we've separated ourselves from God and God uh, sent Jesus to stand in that gap for us because we could not stand in it ourselves. People need Jesus. But far too often there are so many unnecessary obstacles that get up, get put up uh, for people to get to Jesus. And so as a church, very simply, we've just said our motivation as a church is that we want to remove every single obstacle for you to get to Jesus. That whether that's a past hurt, a present habit, or an intellectual hang-up, we want to remove those things so that you can have a relationship with Jesus. And so let me be very, very clear today, and I hope you hear me say this. This is not about Trace Church. This has never been about Trace Church, and I pray to God that it will never become about Trace Church. That we aren't trying to just get people to come to Trace Church. We are trying to get people to Jesus. That this is not about Aaron and his ability to lead. This is not about Tyler and his musical abilities and his ability to lead us in worship. This is not about me and my ability to speak. We could care less about those things, especially if we are not getting people in a relationship with Jesus. Not to us. Not to trace church, but to be God be the glory. And so where does that leave us as a church? What does that mean for us? It means we're going to do things a little differently because we want to remove obstacles for people to get to Jesus. 
It means we're going to do things like poker nights, and we're going to have men's events that are awesome. It means that we're going to do groups in people's homes where people can get to know Jesus so they can go show Jesus to the people that they know. It means that we're going to have engaging content and applicable content every single week. But we're also going to have videos where we suffer through eating hot sauce and you guys can make fun of us for that because we believe that removes obstacles for people to get to Jesus. It means we're not just going to do child care in the kids ministry, but that we want to partner with you all as parents, not just to get you to Jesus, but to get your kids to Jesus as well. It means we're going to take your students to Sky Zone and Dart Wars and throw dodgeballs at them in the name of Jesus. It means we're going to have awesome bumper videos. It means we're going to market ourselves as a church. It means we're going to market our people serving the city well, not because we want people to get to know Trace Church, but because we want them to get to know Jesus. And if that can remove any obstacles for that to happen, then we're going to make it happen. Because we know that Jesus is the only one that can save anyone. And so we want to get everyone in a relationship within. Because at the end of the day, we know it wasn't Trace Church that lived a perfect life. We know it wasn't Trace Church that died on a cross for the sins of the world. That was Jesus. That it was Jesus that came and he took your place and he took my place, not Trace Church. And he died the death we deserve so that someday we could be a part of an upside down kingdom. So that we could be a part of a kingdom that looks like this, where more is less, where others get put first, where we descend into greatness by making the people around us great. A place where generosity flows freely. A place where we don't get the credit, but it goes to the only one deserving, but a place that's inclusive, where everyone gets invited, everyone gets an invitation, and finally a kingdom whose king went to a cross to die for the people that were a part of it. That is the kind of kingdom we get to be a part of. If you ask me, that's the kind of place I want to be. And so to close today, I just want to ask you a very simple question, and it's this right here. Out of these three areas that we talked about today, which one do you need to grow in the most? Out of those three areas that we talked about today, which one do I need to grow in the most? Maybe for you it's that first one, that you struggle with the concept of descending into greatness. Maybe you are a little bit conceited that maybe there are some people you need to go apologize to because you have emotionally run over them. Maybe you've emotionally bulldozed your spouse or your kids and you need to have an intentional conversation of apology. Or maybe you need to take some time and genuinely ask, how can I make the people around me great? What does it look like for me to lay down my own greatness and raise up the people around me? Maybe you struggle with that first one. Maybe for you it's the second one, that you're like I was. Maybe you don't see the benefit of being generous in your life. Maybe you've had a bad experience with the church in the past. Maybe you simply don't think you have anything to offer the kingdom at all. With as much grace and respect as I can muster, can I just tell you, I think you're wrong. You have so much to offer the kingdom of God. And if I could offer you any wisdom today, I would just say this, just try it. Just try it. Like pick a percentage, it doesn't have to be 10%, but pick a percentage and stick with it for an entire year. And I promise, I don't say that because I want your money, I say that because I want you to experience the joy that I have experienced with being generous. And guys, if you don't trust us with your money, don't give here. 
I would never advise you or encourage you to give somewhere that you do not trust, but if you don't give here, give somewhere. And ask yourself this question, where can I be generous that will impact the kingdom the most? And for me, the answer has always been the local church. But that's between you and God. Maybe some of us need to grow in generosity. Or maybe some of you, it's this last one. This posture of not to us. That if nobody's told you this, I hate to break it to you. Uh, I was a middle child, so this was like spoken over my life. But this is not about you, okay? And this is not about me. It's much bigger than us. Some of us need to take the time to stop being so concerned with how we look or how we come off and start instead focusing on where can I remove an obstacle to get my friend to Jesus? That this is not a not-to-us kind of kingdom. And so ask yourself that question, where do I need to grow the most? And then take the steps to get there. Because listen, we need you. Because right now in a world that is so divided, in a country that's so divided, guys, today we need a kingdom that's not. Let's pray. God, thank you for your upside-down kingdom. And God, I know from the world's perspective, from an outside perspective, it makes absolutely no sense. But God, this is the place we want to be a part of. God, help us to realize that we do not ascend to greatness, but we descend by making other people around us great. God, let generosity flow freely from our lives. I thank you genuinely for the people in my life that have changed my perspective on that. Now, God, I pray you would make this church half as generous as some of the people that I know. God, but finally, help us to keep focused on this not-to-us culture. God, let us never make this about Trace Church or our own personal fame or anything like that. Help us to make this about you. God, we're grateful for your son Jesus and his invitation into his kingdom. God, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.